Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. are very excited today to welcome another guest to the podcast. Uh, today we are joined by Heather Karrison. So Heather has a background in zoology and a master's of environmental studies where she focused specifically on mitigating human wildlife conflict in urban areas. We are looking forward to hearing Heather discuss how we as dog owners in the Kitchener-Waterloo region can best coexist with wildlife within our cities. So let's dive right in. To see your face. Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW podcast with your hosts Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. So today we are joined by Heather Carrison to talk about coexisting with wildlife. So again, welcome, Heather. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. All right. Very, very excited to have you on today. Really looking forward to talking about um, all of the cool stuff that uh, the wildlife has in the area and how we can hopefully um, keep them safe and keep our pets safe. So uh, let's start. So... Heather, can you tell us a bit about yourself? And more importantly, do you have a, do you have a dog? I don't currently, no. <gasps> oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> I, think you, I think you're our first guest that uh, isn't a dog parent, but I believe you told us that you're a dog aunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, major dog aunt, because it's actually my twin sister's dog. So I've I'm very close to him. Um, yeah, I just don't have my own right now. I've had rescue dogs and stuff in the past, um, and we'll probably get another one maybe in the next year. Um, nice. Just was awkward timing with schooling and stuff like that. Hey, dogs are a lot of work. So knowing when to bring them into your life is like half the battle. Yeah, I think that a lot of people think, oh, because something that wasn't mentioned in my bio is that I actually also have a really big background working in the veterinary industry. I worked in veterinary eMERGE for years. So a lot of people are like, oh, you're the first person I would expect to have a dog. How could you possibly live without one? And I'm like, I think I just understand so much and take the responsibility so seriously that I want to be in the perfect place. Okay, so tell us about your dog niece, nephew. So Hudson is a fluffy corgi. He is quite the little Instagram star these days. So I am his aunt and manager. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's awesome. um, Yep. I have to answer a dog's emails. (laughs) (laughs) What my life is like these days. Um, No, but he's really great. He's he's very cute. He's five years old now, which is hard to believe, Um, but very personable and very lovable. And I'm so happy that we could spread his fluffy joy to so many people. Oh, I love that. Awesome. Well, let's not waste too much time because we got lots of questions for you. So can you tell us a bit about your background? We always love to ask about the dogs first, but would love to hear about your background and kind of what brought you to this type of work. Absolutely. So 
Like I just mentioned there, I actually did work in veterinary emergency clinics for a while. At first, I've always been such a huge animal lover, both of wildlife and domestic animals. And when I was younger, I thought I might be a vet. Um, and I thought maybe I'll specialize and be a vet for wildlife, wasn't sure. Um, but then once I got into schooling, I took a, a Bachelor of Science in Zoology, started learning about conservation, was really interested in the wildlife aspect of it, but again, still ended up working in, in veterinary clinics. And so I just have come to a point now where I have that experience from the veterinary industry, but ended up going into my master's of environmental studies. And what happened there was I was actually going to focus on human wildlife conflict abroad because I had traveled quite a bit and I love elephants. I've been to Asia multiple times uh, to see, go to sanctuaries and learn about their plight. So I was actually going to focus on that. And then I started working at Toronto Wildlife Center in the emergency hotline, which is basically like 911 for wildlife. And I just realized how much wildlife is occurring right here in my own backyard and how little people understand about these animals that they're coexisting with every single day. And so I just pivoted and I decided to focus my master's on how to mitigate those conflicts in our urban areas. So cool. And did you, for your master's, um, was it thesis-based? So did you do um, like a research project? Yeah, it was basically called an MRP or a major research project. So I ended up creating this massive book, essentially, by the end, you've written so much, um, but it was a bunch of presentations. I also, at the same time, became a social media specialist. Uh, so I was working in doing blogs that educate people about that type of thing. Amazing. Yeah, so a lot of moving parts, but ultimately, um, some sort of an expert on this subject at this point, and I'm happy that I'm able to share. That's so great because, yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about a lot of different uh, types of wildlife. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's. So moving on, can you just explain what coexisting with wildlife means and how it applies to dog owners? For sure. So the term human wildlife conflict itself basically refers to a conflict that happens, whether it's real or perceived, between because there's an overlap in the requirements of basically wildlife and people. In urban areas, you can imagine that that overlap is so severe. Urban, in urban environments, all wildlife are existing in the exact same areas that we are, whether we realize it or not. So to me, coexistence is arming ourselves with the knowledge because of course we are the intelligent species to understand how these animals operate and to mitigate the conflict. Like I said, coming from a background of being in veterinary as well as wildlife rehabilitation, I've firsthand seen domestic animals that are harmed by wildlife and so many wildlife that are harmed by domestic animals. So to me, coexistence is knowing enough to mitigate that happening to either of those parties. So never want the wildlife to turn out hurt. And we certainly don't want our pets to become hurt either. That's amazing. I remember when I read that when I when we participated in the Save Our Scruff, what was it called? Good for You mm -hmm. January event. Yeah. And I remember reading coexisting with wildlife. I was like, that sounds fascinating. I've no idea what it means, but I'm definitely going to attend. And it wasn't at all what I expected. Um, I don't know what I expected to be honest. Um, but it was so informative, so educational. Um, and hopefully, uh, some of our listeners are able to take away some of that knowledge today. So can you tell us a bit about how coexisting with wildlife looks in a rural setting versus an urban 
setting. So city versus country living. And we, we were super interested in this because Mackenzie and I both grew up in Muskoka. Um, mm-hmm. So in a significantly more rural area. Um, and now, I mean, I live in a condo in the city um, and Mackenzie lived in a condo as well up until a couple of weeks ago. So totally, um, yeah, different experiences. And we've even observed um, some differences. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually much the same. I grew up much more rurally in like Innisfil area. And now I live in Toronto. Actually, I think it's surprising in the sense that I actually think that conflicts happen more in urban areas. And it's because of that overlap. So in the city, we see people, you know, a coyote is spotted and people are flying off the handle because they think that a coyote should never be in the city. They think it's somehow, I don't know, been airdropped into their community and that it needs to go back to where it came from. And that's not the truth. In rural settings, sometimes I'd hear coyotes or something like that, but you'd never actually see them. It's so much more easy for them to stay hidden, right? Mm -hmm. They don't actually want to be near humans. But in the city, they have to travel between green spaces and that automatically makes them easier to be seen, easier to be close to. Um, So I think there's some conflicts that exist in rural areas that don't necessarily in the city. But if anything, I think just the close quarters of the city really escalates it. And also the expectation. A lot of people that people that live in the city don't think that there is wildlife in the city. Which is so funny. That's so funny. (laughs) When I lived in Toronto, I saw the biggest raccoons I've ever seen in my life. They're chonky. So um, I just find that really uh, kind of funny. Um, But yeah, that makes a lot of sense in a lot of different uh, situations. Like even rabbits, like when I saw a rabbit in up north, it was like, oh my God, there's a rabbit. But here I see them everywhere. They they have nowhere else to live. Like if you have a backyard, they're going to live there. So um, yeah, that's uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, Anything else, Justine? No, I think that's all. Um, well, thanks, Heather, for sharing that with us. And this has been a great introduction to coexisting with wildlife. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back shortly to discuss coexisting with wildlife in greater detail. It is time for our Celebrity Pup of the Week. Celebrity Pup of the Week. (laughs) Okay, so... This week, we have a super special Celebrity Pup of the Week because this guy is an actual celebrity, um, which is so cool. So his name's Hudson at Hudson the Fluffy Corgi. And our guest today, Heather, is actually Hudson's aunt and social media manager or business manager. Is Hudson a businessman? 
kind of, yeah. I mean, he does sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, tell us uh, a little bit about Hudson, our celebrity pup of the week. Well, he's a corgi, so first off, people always ask if they shed tons. <laughs> and he's very stubborn, so that is a corgi trait too. So very, very stubborn and very smart, uh, which other dog owners will know is not always something that works in your favor <laughs> as a dog owner. Uh, but he's just super adorable and just brings joy to so many now uh, that he reaches so many people, which I love. And I love his social media, like his Instagram feed. It just makes you smile. It's all just him like smiling, you know, and he's got like bow ties on and he's upside down. If you just scroll through this, this page, it's adorable. Um, the reels are super cute. Have a look. Uh, that's at Hudson, the fluffy Corgi. Um, he's so cute. So cute. And there you have it. This week's Celebrity Pup of the Week. Welcome back to the Dog Friendly KW podcast with your host Justine and McKenzie on Midtown Radio KW. So today we are talking about coexisting with wildlife with Heather Carrison. So let's get started with some questions about specific wildlife we see frequently here in the Waterloo region. Um, so first, we're wondering if you can talk to us about coyotes and foxes. So we've noticed that many dog owners in the community are so fearful of these animals. Um, and we'd love for you to share how we can coexist best with um, these. They're cute. They're cute, cute little guys. But um I don't know. Every time there's a coyote coyote in town, uh, all of the dog groups on Facebook just like blow up. There'll be like 20 posts about coyotes. So Heather would love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. And so it's even funny how you say whenever there's a coyote in town, everyone freaks out. In reality, there is always a coyote in town. It's just when they're seeing it that people tend to become very alarmed and it's really unfounded with coyotes it makes me so sad i feel like there's this whole discourse around them as a species of being maleficent and and wily coyotes and just these terrible species that are basically looking to hurt your dog which is not the case of course i have seen the other side of the coin like i've said i worked in emerge vet so I have personally seen dogs that have been attacked by coyotes. It's really sad. And I don't say this with, without empathy or, or with malice, but it was a completely avoidable situation in my eyes. So we just need to, again, come with some understanding about the species and how we can, as the unintelligent species, mitigate that for us and our pets. So coyotes absolutely don't have it out for you or your pet. They're not going to run up to you and attack you on a walk. So some important things to know, they are the most active at dusk and dawn. So depending on the type of time of year, so if it's winter and it gets really dark really early, even if you're walking your dog after walk, I would suggest always having them on leash. We're not letting them off leash in green spaces when it is a coyote active time, mm -hmm. particularly if you have a smaller dog, because coyotes prey on small mammals. So they're not distinguishing that this is your dog that you love, and they're certainly not targeting it to hurt you. But basically, if it's an easy thing to go for, they're gonna, they're opportunistic, they're gonna do it. 
Same thing with backyards. So a lot of people don't realize that coyotes are very skilled climbers. A fence is no issue for them at all. And so if you're just opening your back door and letting your dog out into your backyard at night and letting them stay out there, particularly again, if it's a smaller dog, that is essentially just an easy to grab small mammal that could end up being attacked by a coyote. That's not because the coyote again is malicious. It's just because you gave it the opportunity. So those are just easy, small steps you can take to make sure that your dog is always safe. A coyote is never going to run up to you when you have your dog on leash. And they honestly only weigh about 30 pounds. I think people have this idea in their mind that they're like these huge bear-like creatures that are just going to absolutely attack you. They're terrified of humans for the most part. And if they aren't, it's because somebody else is accommodating them or feeding them. But typically they are very fearful if you ever actually were close enough to see one physically and you thought that it seemed interested, you can just be really loud, yell, clap. They will automatically turn around and run in the opposite direction. So if you just take these tiny, tiny little steps, the risk they pose to you is, or your animals is negligible, if anything at all. That's so helpful. And would you say, so like I have an 80 pound dog, like I'm assuming for big dog owners that when it comes to coyotes, they have little to nothing to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, the average coyote is only coming in about like 30, 35 pounds. They really are not very large animals. So of course, if you have a tiny little chihuahua, that's so easy to pick up and and run with, but I I doubt a coyote is ever going to try and go up against an animal that large. It just wouldn't happen. What about foxes? Um, have you ever run into issues or heard of issues that a fox has um, come into a yard and, and hurt an animal? No, actually, which is why I, I don't necessarily understand the discourse around foxes because I do find that coyotes are portrayed as being like horrible. And then sometimes foxes are portrayed as being cute and cuddly sort of, but then there's still a lot of people that are very afraid of them. I mean, I've had people ask if they told me that they have a coyote in their neighborhood and, oh, my son's having an outdoor birthday party. Is that even okay? I mean, foxes only weigh like sometimes like 10, 15 pounds. Like they weigh less than like a domestic cat. Wow. So they're not very big at all. And they're typically going after small animals, if not rodents. So we're talking those cottontails you were speaking of, squirrels. So unless you have an absolute bite-sized dog, but I've never even heard of a dog being attacked by a coat or by a fox. So I really don't think that they pose much risk at all. Um, And honestly, they're so beautiful. I I wish people were more excited and enthusiastic to see them. I've heard, this is semi off topic, but not really. I've heard of foxes denning under um, like decks or porches or what have you. What would you suggest for for somebody who is experiencing a, a denning issue? That's a really good question. Yeah. So it depends on the circumstance. Obviously, if you have a dog and you're letting them into the backyard, it's going to be a greater issue for you because you don't want to be having that constant interaction. Again, foxes are most 
often active in hours that we're not really most active in dusk and dawn. Um, so it might not be too much of a run in issue, but I would say that if you notice that a fox coming around and looking to den, it's important to start mitigating that right away. Um, because if you don't want those kits to be in your backyard, then you're going to want to figure out where they're going in. And there's multiple things that you can do in terms of humane harassment, it's called, which is basically just animals are smart. You can make an area just seem not that safe by introducing different smells or sounds that are going to make them think, you know what, I'm going to take my young elsewhere. But if it's not an issue, if you always walk your dog out on the street or bring them to dog parks, etc., I always tell people like, I would be thrilled to have a den in my backyard. <laughs> Could you imagine just waking up in the morning and seeing baby fox kits? That would be I would die. I would incredible. die. <laughs> <laughs> So oftentimes when I was working at the center, I just tried to reframe it for people. Like if it was not an issue otherwise of, oh, because some people are scared that their dog might attack the kits if they try and come out or something like that. So of course yeah. we definitely want to mitigate that situation. But if that wasn't going to be an issue for you, enjoy the view. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Um, okay. So what are some other animals or wildlife that we should be mindful of as dog owners in urban spaces? I think one of the major ones for me that I always highlight is skunks. So whether you live in rural areas or a city, you're probably going to run into a skunk eventually. Again, they're nocturnal. We're very lucky in the sense that a lot of these animals have basically different schedules than we do. So it, it does make it a little bit more rare that we'll run into them. But skunks can be a really big issue for dog owners because to anyone that has had their dog sprayed by a skunk, it is a terrible experience. You, your life, your house is all going to smell like skunk for a considerable amount of time. But this is avoidable. Basically why this happens so much with dogs is because skunks have very poor eyesight. So they cannot see very well. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is that the dog is sneaking up on the skunk. The skunk is becoming startled. And skunks actually have all of these warning signs that we as a person could notice, but the dog is obviously just going to blow right past them until the skunk ends up spraying them. Skunks are not eager to spray. They'll do things like when they first notice you, they will back up and then they'll start stamping their feet, which is actually kind of cute if you're not in a scary situation. <laughs> they start stamping their feet, trying to look all tough. They're waiting to see if you'll back up and then they'll start lifting their tail. Then they'll start turning. So you have basically like three, four steps to get through before the skunk is like, okay, this person is not leaving me alone. Now I'm going to have to spray your dog's just blasting past all of that and getting sprayed in the face because it's not backing off. So again, when it is those peak hours for wildlife activity, like dusk dawn, you should be walking your dog on a close leash. So not a huge, long extended leash, a close leash where you can be the eyes and ears. I even tell people that if they smell a skunk, they feel like one's really close and they don't see it yet. Or even if you do, I find that people whisper when they see a skunk. Have you ever noticed that? People go, there's a skunk. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, that is the exact wrong thing to do. So the skunk, again, can't see you very well. And so it feels like you've kind of snuck up on it. And so what I tell people is announce yourself. And this actually works. I did this this summer. I saw a skunk and I was just like, hi, skunk. And then it, it ran away immediately. <laughs> and so that's what you want. You want to say, I just tell people, even if you have a yard and you maybe you go outside with your dog and you notice that it, it smells really strong of skunk, you think there might be one, announce yourself. Say, hello, skunk, we're coming outside. 
that sounds ridiculous, but it just gives that skunk a warning so that it can go hide. Cause again, it, it doesn't want to be near you. It doesn't want to be near your dog. It certainly doesn't want to spray because it takes them three weeks to get that defense back. I thought that. Whoa. Yeah. 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 So it's their absolute last resort. They don't want to do it. And so if you give them that chance to just run away, they're more than happy to take it. I did not know that. Yeah. I remember hearing that somewhere. Um, probably, I don't, I don't know where, but I, I remember that the last resort is spraying. And I remember that from hearing that it takes them X amount of weeks to, to recharge their little glands. So (laughs) yeah, it really kind of leaves them defenseless. So it's the last thing that they want to do. They don't want to have to use it. Of course, your dog is not noticing them stamping their feet and stopping. So we just need to put ourselves in the position to be the eyes and ears when they'll be active. Well, if I learned one thing today, let it be that because I had no idea. Um, So thanks, Heather, for sharing. This has been incredibly helpful. And we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back for our lightning round. So stay tuned. Now it is time for our lightning round. Pew, pew, pew. Okay, so Heather, we're going to ask you uh, kind of rapid fire questions with the hopes of getting relatively quick responses. You can flush them out a little bit. So Heather, I am curious, is there any animal or any wildlife that you would say actually can be harmful and dog owners should really exercise caution around? I would say one of the major ones that there's not a whole lot you can do other than keep your dog away from them is porcupines. Uh, So from working in veterinary care, I've certainly seen my fair share of dogs who have jammed their face into a porcupine. It is a myth that they shoot their quills. They don't. Your dog jammed its face into their quills. Um, (laughs) um, But again, that's just about I know that we love off-leash, and if your dog is well-behaved enough to have them off-leash in a green space, that's nice, Um, but being aware of what could be in that area and trying to mitigate that is important because it is a nightmare to try and get porcupine quills out of a dog. (laughs) Okay, one more question. You take it, Kenz. What should a dog owner do if your dog has a run-in with wildlife? Well, I mean, it completely depends on on what wildlife that is. Of course, if your dog has been sprayed by a skunk or 
stuck its face in a porcupine, there are certain steps you're going to need to take. A porcupine, you're going to need to go to a vet. You absolutely can't do that on your own. Your dog's going to need to be sedated um, and have those really professionally attended to. A skunk, I would actually suggest staying at home <laughs> and treating that if they've already been sprayed. I've seen people put the dog in their car, which is a mistake. Do not do that. <laughs> um, but otherwise, your dog really won't be, shouldn't be having a run-in in a sense that it's harmed. So I certainly would hate to hear about anyone's dog who has been harmed by a coyote again there's these are such small small steps we can take to just completely avoid that situation at all and so the hope is that that we can do that and just be aware of those risks and, and just not put ourselves in that position all about prevention yes i love it awesome well thanks heather that is the end of our lightning round so thank you again, Heather, for joining us today to discuss how we can coexist with wildlife. We learned a lot. Um, so before we wrap up today, we want to ask you one final question. So what is one piece of advice you would impart on our community related to keeping wildlife safe? I would just say to take the small steps to educate yourself. It really, I believe wholeheartedly that the better that we understand wildlife and the more that we appreciate them, the better that we can act. And that will really just mitigate all these conflicts as we talked about today. Such small steps can avoid these conflicts. So the more we know, the better we'll all be for it. I love that. So thank you again, Heather, so much for being here. And thank you everyone for tuning in today to the Dog Friendly KW podcast. We hope today's episode helps you feel safer and more equipped for when you encounter wildlife with your dog. So we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Thanks, Heather. Thanks. Watching the time slip away